So if you've been if you've been to Bangladesh, please stand up. <laughs> All right. So not not criticizing people that go to Bonaire to visit Doug, but <laughs> when you go to Bonaire to visit Doug, there's a little PS what else we could do, you know, hanging on, but you come to Bangladesh to visit the Schroders, there's other than death marches and uh, a lot of interesting times. So we appreciate you guys that have come and seen us over the years and supported us over the years. Um, so what time is it in Bangladesh? Go, good job, 8 p.m., same, same day. So if, it, if, it's, if it's nighttime in Tennessee, it's daytime in Bangladesh, but if it's in the morning in Tennessee, it's uh, evening in Bangladesh. And uh, so in a week from now, the 8 p.m. will switch to, I mean, the, now it's 9 p.m. here, or 9.30 a.m. artificially, so next week we get rid of daylight savings time, so if it's 8.30 in the morning here, it's 8.30 in the evening in Bangladesh. So what does that tell you about where Bangladesh is? It's the other side of the world, yeah. But I don't say that to make a big deal of it, other than that's the reality. But a day on the plane, used to be a day and a half on the plane to get there. But now, pretty much you can get there in 24 hours. Um, one stop in the Middle East, and uh, you're there. So uh, it's, not, it's not too bad to travel. Um, What's the population of Tennessee? Say again. Seven million. Yeah. So what's what's the Bangladesh? What's the population of Bangladesh? Twelve million. Hundred and forty. Keep going. No, one hundred seventy-two. Wow. Million. One hundred seventy-two million. Yeah. Million. So the size of Bangladesh is 55,600 square miles. Size of Tennessee is 42,000 square miles. So in Tennessee, there's a, let me get it right. Yeah, 170 people per square mile. And in Bangladesh, there's 3,120 people per square mile. It's crowded, but you, you see a lot of people. Um, but you don't, Danny's laughing. It's really, it is really crowded. Um, <laughs> But uh, there's still a lot of rural areas, a lot of fields, uh, farms. It's still an agrarian country. So, um, you know, where we lived, at least the second place we lived, well, third place we lived, semi out in the country. Bill and Bonnie, oh my. Gosh, I, oh, wow. I haven't seen Bill and Bonnie since a uh, long time. <laughs> college, college friends, uh, thanks. Oh. Good to see you. Um, thanks. <laughs> yeah, anything, anything else about the country? They speak Bengali. It's the sixth largest language group in the world. This is what it looks like. It's a Sanskrit-based language, left to right, top to bottom. Um, yeah. Anything else? I was just telling a little anything about the country. Three religions, thank you. Oh, okay. Yeah, We're, the majority religion is Islam. So, ninety percent of the country believe Islam. About nine point nine percent believe Hinduism, and about zero point one percent are Christian. Um, and like Natalie was saying, in the neighborhood we lived in, it was quite interesting. It's different, and there was a lot of Hindus there. There was Hindus temples. There were th two churches in our neighborhoods and mosque as well. Um, so it just uh, it just so happens in the area we are. It was pretty 
um, diverse, but overall in the country, it's, it's not too diverse. So we were part of a team. So the team is um, up on the, the wall there. We, um, yeah, so the, the team is uh, from different countries of the world. I think uh, 15 countries of the world. Romania, Ethiopia, Nigeria, USA, Bangladesh, UK, Germany, South Korea, Australia, New Zealand, Bangladesh, Philippines, Sweden, and Canada. We have now somebody from South America. We didn't, some, part of the time we had a Peruvian there, but now we've got somebody from? Chile. Chile, thank you. Um, so yeah, so we sort of had two halves of our ministry in Bangladesh. So we're gonna talk about the first 10, 12 years and then the last eight years, just for those of you that may not know, have been known us from the beginning or known what's uh, going on. So yeah, go to the next slide. Go ahead, you can start. This is what we looked like in 2000 <laughs> when we went um, for our first time with SIM. Our mission's name is SIM. And we uh, had our two daughters, Ruth and Gail, with us. Ruth had just finished a year, of, her finished high school, and she was, took a gap year, they call it there, um, deferred her admission to university. So she spent that first year with us, which was wonderful. And Gail was in seventh grade at the time. So next for those of us who haven't seen us for a long time, that'll remind you what we used to look like. And uh, here's what we look like now. So. <laughs> next slide. <laughs> the first part of our um, time in Bangladesh was roughly from 2000 to 2010. And in order to go to Bangladesh and live there as a resident, uh, the government of Bangladesh requires a skill of some sort that they want for the development of their country. They, don't, they no longer give missionary visas. So, oh, there's people over here. Hi. <laughs> Sorry if I'm not including you. <laughs> yeah, I'll try to remember to turn over this way, too. Yeah, so we, we um, went in that first phase of our, our work in Bangladesh. I, I'm a nurse, and I was working in a health project. My husband, Don, is an environmental engineer, and he'll talk a little bit later about the arsenic program he started. But this is a typical um, traditional birth assistant training class. It looks a little chaotic because it usually was. Uh, these women... Um, are the ones who delivered the babies in the villages. They did most of the deliveries back then. And so they needed encouragement. They were considered low in the societal status because Islam consider, considers their work unclean, which is super sad to me. Um, they do a great job of serving the women in their community. And so the basic skills of good hand washing sterile technique and cutting the umbilical cord. That's what they're practicing on the baby doll there. I don't know if you can see that too well. And um, yeah, these were the ladies who were the traditional birth assistants. Next slide, please. Learned how to use a low-tech version for listening to the heartbeat of the baby. And that's not a real pregnant woman. We had to simulate a lot in our classes because um, yeah, we had to train them when uh, we could gather them during the day. And next slide. 
These are ladies that in the health program we train to do basic health checkups. And these ladies actually did learn to read and write. So they were newly literate. That was another part of the program is teaching literacy. And they learn how to do blood pressures and hemoglobin checks and a basic um, maternity check on the women and children, heights and weights. Uh, all this was amazing to see them work so hard at learning and Writing a height and weight on a, a growth curve is not an easy task when you've just learned how to read and write. And they were very courageous to do this. And yeah, I was real proud of our health representatives that we trained. Next slide, please. Don. Oh, okay. Your turn. Yes, Cheryl said I'm an environmental engineer. And um, unfortunately, Bangladesh has a bad problem of arsenic contamination in the groundwater. So that was my visa slot for the first half of our ministry there. Um, there's arsenic sediments in the southern Himalaya mountains that every year get washed down to Bangladesh through the rivers. They have flooding. The sediment rich, the arsenic rich sediments, you know, spread throughout the country. They get deposited and then that gets taken into the groundwater. Um, and a, but a cool thing was we have arsenic test kits that got developed because of that. It's a little hawk test kit colorimetric, you put water sample in, you put little acid, acid uh, bile in, you put another vial, another, I think it's zinc, um, you wait 20 minutes and you see what color comes. So in, in the country, the only laboratory facilities were in the capital DACA. So it really wasn't feasible that if you're working in the rural areas, take samples, you know, chemically fix them, send them to DACA by bus, they get them, blah, blah, blah. So this was really cool in that 20 minutes you could get results on the water sample. So this was a, a, a health fair that our organization, the, the project we were part of, CDP, put on. And one of the booths in the health fair was the arsenic clinic, arsenic testing thing. So people would just bring their water samples in, sit there for 20 minutes and get, get the results. So you could get pretty good feedback to the folks and then make suggestions. We had... Um, if they couldn't afford a filter, we tell them, you know, use the neighbor's water or it might be a public water supply nearby. But we also had filters that we had developed that we used. Uh, we, we sold to people at a slight subsidy. So, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a good vehicle to um, get into the community, a good vehicle to get into households as well. Next slide. So these are the filters that we developed. Uh, roughly cost 20 bucks for a filter, U.S., and we subsidized it. I think they paid 15 and we, we, we subsidized five. If you we were really poor, we subsidized half, it was 10. Um, there's just, it's little co concrete, concrete containers, cement containers, and just various layers of charcoal and um, wood, wood um, iron filing, sand, brick chips, but it was all local materials. So it was pretty sustainable and reproducible there. Um, if somebody wanted to make one on their own, they, they could have, but most of the time they bought it from us. We serviced them for five years, and then if they still wanted, if they still had a problem or hadn't gotten hooked up to the public water supply, we, we sold them another one. Next slide. So th there's just, we, you know, people, people come to the office after we find out they have contaminated water, uh, they, they, they pay for the filter, and then wait for the day when the filters arrive. Filters arrive by truck. They rent these little bicycle rickshaw things and put the filter on the truck and go to their house. And then our workers would go and set up the filters. 
pretty, it's a gravity fed thing. There were no electricity required or pumps or anything like that. So it was, it was, a, it was a good system. Next. So now uh, the ministry part. During the first part of our, our work in Bangladesh, we partnered with an organization called Way of Life. And some of you from CBC are familiar with Way of Life because we had teams come through and help teach at conferences. So who do you see up there from CBC? <laughs> Stephanie and Vinette, and thank you for wearing your three pieces today, ladies, so I'm not the only one. And um, this was a ladies group that was meeting in our town at that time. And um, they helped with the teaching and the kids ministry when they came. This was 2007. Next slide. Oh, who have we here? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so the, this, was, this is a traditional um, wear for men called a lungi. And so we wanted our guys to have access to wearing lungis. So I had to get their picture. We've got Doug and Mark Smith and Larry and Sheldon up there with Don. Um, yeah, Don's wearing the version of T-shirt that most people wear there because it's super hot most of the year, and uh, that's in our that's in our flat at at that time. Living room had was kind of like the closet. You see <laughs> hangers hanging up in the back. So, yeah. Anyway, it was great memories of the CBC teams coming through. Next slide. This is Joe Tish who. Um, was the, the man who founded Way of Life. He's a Bangladeshi from traditional Catholic background, traditional Christian background. He was, his family was Roman Catholic. And he came to faith, and it's a scary thing for um, Bengalis from either Hindu background who come to faith or traditional Christian background who come to faith to witness to the Muslims around them. Uh, they are uh, quite the minority. And um, it's usually not appreciated by those, those in power and authority. But Jyotish has done an amazing job of building a ministry there. And his conferences are the ones where CBC teams help teach. This, this is current picture of, of me and Jyotish. So we started working with him 2002, probably, yeah. in, in Kustia. I'm supposed to do this. Um, but this, this is from... Earlier this year. Yeah. Yeah. So this is from this January, January, this, January year. this year. And mm -hmm. he's still in ministry, still active serving. And, and the cool thing, we are having our IOW conference, our outreach workers conference in a conference center that his ministry built. So um, one, one of the cool things, I'm pretty good at getting things started. But when thing, once things get started, usually there are people around that can do things better than I can. And that was the case with Jyotish and Manan and a lot of other guys that we just helped them get going. But this is a huge conference center, not huge by American standards, well, but it's a big place. And, and you could have meetings for 75 people here. They have dormitories, um, cafeteria kind of area. That's <laughs> a stretch. Um, but <laughs> but uh, it's just really cool that he's, he's gone on into service to the Lord and God's blessed him and, and he's got this center that now we're, we're using his center uh, for our continued ministries. That, that's just really cool to me. 
Next slide, please. Now we're, I'm going to talk about our second half of our time in Bangladesh. Uh, when we went back in um, 2017, I guess, yeah, I'll, I may get a chance to fill in some of the gaps, but let's just advance quickly to 2017. Uh, the health work had been turned over to a national organization, and SIM had moved further south, where the arsenic problem was even worse than Kushtia, the place where we first lived. And so it was a town called Fortipur, and um, this, this is the arsenic staff. And the way that we got to go back into the country at that time was uh, they needed, the government wanted Native American, or not American, English speakers. They wanted um, those who could teach spoken English. So I'm not an English teacher by any stretch, like Vicki, our friend, Vicki Smith, who taught high school <laughs> English. But I took training on how to teach spoken English. And it's a great way to connect with the community. And the arsenic workers really wanted to work on their English. So this is the class I had with them and our book that we, we used. And just another thing, the arsenic program is still going on, so I helped get it started, but now there's a North, South Korean, no, <laughs> South Korean running the program. And um, yeah, so, and it's continuing. It's a great ministry. Uh, it's a great service to the community. And uh, some of those brothers there have come to faith, and it's a vehicle for them to get into the community and share their faith as well. So th that's just really cool that that's still going on in Bangladesh now. Next slide, please. This was another English class that I had the privilege to work with. This is a um, national NGO, and they wanted their managerial staff to learn English. So these are uh, men and women who were um, higher up in the organization, all Muslim, pretty sure. Yep, all of, in that class were Muslim, maybe one Hindu person. But it was a, another, just a great opportunity to partner with this NGO and encourage them. They're doing good work for, for Bangladesh and to help them improve their English skills. Uh, with computers, you just really need to have some background in English. And they work a lot trying to get donors for their work. And they have to have enough English to write emails. and. So that's the kind of thing we focused on there. And this is a party. We always had a party when we had a graduation ceremony. So that's their certificate. They're holding their certificates. And we're celebrating their graduation. Next slide, please. Another English class. The, this was on the, there's a compound of Baptists that the Baptist missionaries many years ago, Australian Baptists, started. And these are the Baptist believers in that community. And one Muslim lady, she has her head covered, we're celebrating the graduation from our English class here. Next slide. And as far as ministry goes, this is where IOW comes in. Don and some other uh, guys on our team felt strongly that God was calling them to start a ministry called IOW, Indigenous Outreach Workers. And they looked for places in Bangladesh where there had not been any testimony historically, currently. They did a lot of research looking into that. And so they found districts near where we were living 
and they also recruited um, Muslim background believers, MBB is for short, but these are couples who had come out of Islam and were now believers and also had gifts to evangelize. And their wives and kids, we gathered at least once a year for fun, uh, discipleship, a little, little camp for the kids, and this is one of those gatherings, one of those retreats with the wives and kids. Next slide. Again, another retreat camp with the wives and kids that I got to be a part of in teamwork with other ladies on our team. Next slide. And then the other thing we did with the ladies was we had a discipleship course that had recently been translated from English into Bengali. And a teacher from Dhaka actually came to teach it. She was the translator. She has the white scarf on up front. Bobby. And these ladies loved that course. They just soaked it in, loved it, ate it up. And it was hard work. Two of the ladies were uh, recently had become literate. And um, at the end of the course, Bobby, at the last minute, tells me, oh, we got to have certificates for these ladies. And I'm like, wait, I don't even have power right now. How am I going to print those out before we start? She goes, well, you know, just do your best. Well, anyway, the power came back, and I was kind of begrudgingly printing out these certificates. And then it just the next day, um, we had a proper graduation, even though the power went out there where we were meeting, and we were in the dark with flashlights giving them their certificates. And Beauty, the lady in red um, towards the front, with tears in her eyes said, this is the first certificate I've ever received in my whole life. She is one of the newly literate ladies. And I just like, oh, thank you, Bobby. You knew what you were doing. <laughs> and i um, so glad I was able to, yeah, have those certificates for the ladies. Next slide. This is a family conference. We, we have those annually, except during COVID. And um, this is for the whole family, husbands, wives, children. And this was a, a conference where uh, one of the, we have actually in Bangladesh have had uh, missionaries coming from China. These people are really serious about their faith, dedicated, and give it their all. These uh, single women, usually, the church in China is majority female at this time, and one of those ladies, um, Lola, is in the picture, and she did the children's teaching for that conference. Next slide. This was our most recent family conference, and we work as a team. Um, it includes those who were helping with the teaching and the kids' ministry, and we had a person come all the way from Australia to help with the kids. So. Yeah, grateful we were able to get, gather. This was back in January of this year. Next slide. No, wait. Oh, wait. Go back. Wait, I Can said it go too back? soon. Yeah. <laughs> just, just so the, so for the first 10 years, we were part, eight, 10 years, we were partnering with these national brothers and their organizations, Jyotish, Manan, um, that were just starting. So when I first got to know Jyotish, it was him and two guys that was the whole ministry. When I first knew Manon, it was just him personally. 
And, and through that eight years, they matured and they grew and God blessed their ministry. And toward the end of eight, nine, ten, it was clear they didn't need me anymore. So wanted, I still desired to stay in Bangladesh, so wanted to find another way to be effective in the country. And there's nothing wrong with a larger ministry, but I said, okay, let's just try a one-on-one -on -one kind of ministry. So we um, started in one uh, district, which is like a county. So one county of the country with one guy and his family. Uh, population in the county is about two million people. So there's plenty of folks to share with and, and talk to. And we just decided that we weren't going to build it quickly or fast, or we we're just going to work slowly through these guys. Um, they had, all of them have been believers for 10 years minimum. Uh, obviously knew the language a thousand times better than I did, knew the culture a thousand times better than I did. Um, so my partnership was with these brothers, their families, and their, their children. Um, I didn't really teach them a lot. I mostly encouraged them. Um, I just, you know, shared my life with them, poured my life in, not poured my life, but I shared my life with their family and their kids and encouraged them. And I think that helped, them, it helped them over the, that, you know, next 10 year period to get established. Um, and, you know, praise God, all of these brothers are still there. They're still ministering and they're reaching out. There's three of them now in three different counties where we lived in that part of the country was close, a county away from where these guys, well, one county away and two counties away from where these guys and their families minister. So just a blessing to be able to pour into their lives over the years and they're still going. So that's, people ask me if I miss, we miss Bangladesh. I miss Bangladesh, but God blessed us in such a way that it's gonna get better than when we were there. There's more people now involved in the IOW program the, the model that we set up first for IOWs is one expatriate, one foreigner with one Bengali. But over the years, some of the expatriates left. So for the last three or four years, it was just Cheryl and I with these three families. Um, but before we left the country, um, an Ethiopian family. Um, yeah, they're in here. It's hard to see, but there's an Ethiopian family up there, a husband and wife. And they're in charge of the IOW effort now continuing the outreach. There's an Australian family up there now. They are partnering with another one of the families. And for the third family, we have other sim, or sim people that were not at this picture, but they're partnering with the other IOW. So that we've got back to that one-on-one -on -one kind of partnership with, with them. And it's, it's, it's neat. And again, this is the Jyotisha's Way of Life Training Center um, outside of Kushtia. Go ahead. Next, yeah, next, next slide. slide is for you. Oh, yeah, okay. Um, yeah, the, okay, so the, the guy kneeling, sorry, the guy kneeling down is Tesfaya. He's from Ethiopia. He had been in Bangladesh 2000, I don't know, 12 to 16 or something, but had gone home for a couple of years, came back with his family in 21, and just felt led to come to Fartipur, where we live, to be part of the ministry there, and ended up being willing to, Take it, take it over. So Kamal is on your far left. That's me. Oscar's in the middle. He, he's, he's not an IOW, but we've known him for a while. You guys that went to conferences probably might have met Oscar. Um, then uh, Nazrul and... and uh, Lutfer. Lutfer. Lutfer, sorry. Yeah, so again, that's in, in front of the training center. Uh, next slide. Yeah, why don't you tell about that? 
uh, this was a beloved tradition. We didn't know how beloved it would become, but um, when we have conferences, Don decided he needed his coffee. And probably this, uh, we did have a coffee house for you guys when you came on Teams. Well, we kept it going for our IOW workers. And coffee's getting more and more popular in Bangladesh. You should just be tea. And the ladies, it was just so special for them at these conferences. Usually, they are working really hard at home every morning just to get the breakfast on the table. And here, they could just walk in and get a cup of coffee and some dry toast. That's what they like. And they dunk it in. And just having that time of fellowship around the table was, was really special to us and to them. So that's a picture of Don's coffee house. Uncle Don's coffee house is what they called it. <laughs> Nana. The men participated the women. No, the men came as well, but we gave um, women priority. Women priority. They got to sit at the table. The men had to sit other places. They got served first. Um, there was sort of a game in that I'd have to go, they would be staying in the women's dormitory and they wouldn't come until I went over there and called them and then they came, all came up and just this little game. Oh, that's cultural. Cultural yeah. thing, yeah. You don't want to look too eager, like, oh, I'm greedy. You know, I'm going to have all the coffee I can get and all the toast. You and, have to and be a little we, reluctant. And when we say a cup, it's a four-ounce cup. <laughs> and it's instant Nescafe. So Sheldon's shaking his head. He drank it for a while. But it's, it, no, you don't get any credit. Um, it's instant Nescafe. Um, so I like it, but that's apparently not real coffee, as they say. Um, what else? Again, this is the training center with, uh, at Joe Tisha's training center. Next slide. Yeah, this, this is like, this is what I did. Um, just go hang, hang. This is Nuzrul on the left and uh, on, on the left and his son, James, on the right. It, it was a hot day. Uh, we went there, visited him. He wanted, this is actually his home home. Yeah, that, that's another part of this. All of these people, all these brothers and their families, they've left their home villages and gone to these new service news areas. So they're not trying to reach out from their homes. That's a, a valid model to you know, reach out from your home area. But we decided, okay, we're gonna take these guys and their families and go to another part of the country. So they, they're truly, they're not cross-cultural missionaries, but they, you know, they have moved. And so they're living in rented houses and all this. So this is Nuzrul's real house. So it's a tin, you know, bamboo, it's got some wood supports. And actually, those are concrete pillars on the side. Um, and the CI sheets, corrugated iron sheets on the side and the roof. Um, but yeah, just, just hang with them, pray with them, cry with them, uh, encourage with them. Um, yeah, that, that, that was really what I did for the last six years or so. And um, yeah, it, 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 I think it made a difference in the, in the guy's life the guy's lives, so it, it was a blessing to be able to do that. Next slide. This was our farewell in June with the IOW workers and um, teammates, Australian teammates and Ethiopian teammates who were involved in the ministry. And yeah, it was quite, it was hard. It was tearful, sad, um, 
but we left with such a good sense of closure with these new families coming in to take part in the ministry and, and to mentor these families. So we're super grateful to the Lord. Um, we just didn't know how he would bless us so richly with, with these families before we left. So, yeah, thanks be to God. Do you want to say anything about the farewell, Don? Yeah, maybe I'll just... The, the, this um, verse here, sal Salvation and Life Trust is a local trust that we set up to be the identity for these guys in the country. They don't, didn't, I didn't want them in, to have an identity from SIM because it's, it's foreign and it's missionary related. So we established a, a local trust for them legally with the government. And one of the things that we, we did was to give these guys an identity in the community. Everybody got a, um, I'm sorry, I'm not using this thing. Everybody got an arsenic test kit, so they went into the village areas, and this was there when they wanted to go to a new household or a new village. Well, this was their identity to go to the village because the areas where these guys lived also had pretty high arsenic contamination. So, have box will travel. They could go at anywhere. Hey, yeah, I'm here. You know, test your water. There's a lot of small non-governmental organizations in in Bangladesh, really small ones. So it's not at all unusual for an unknown, unknown person to show up in your village and say, would you like your weight you know, tested? Would you like your blood pressure checked? Would you like something else? So there's a lot of small NGOs. So we had this as the identity in the areas. It was real easy to teach the guys to use these kits. Um, so they could go again and again to the village and just establish relationships with folks. So Salvation and Life Trust, um, SALT, and I, I didn't think... <laughs> This is the words we use with the government to register the organization. So, but they don't really know what salvation means. Um, it didn't, didn't bother anybody. So that's the use, that was our logo that we set up. Um, and, and this was our, uh, we didn't, this, this, was, this is scripture. This wasn't in the thing, but this is the, uh, what is it? Acts. No, but my name, it's our, like our, our key verse, key verse. Key yeah, verse. for what, for what we're doing. And it's uh, Acts 26, this is just 18, but it, it's when um, Jesus is, is, is calling Paul and what Jesus tells to Paul, but get up and stand on your feet for this purpose. I have appeared to you to appoint you a minister and a witness, not only to the things which you have seen, but also to the things in which I will appear to you rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you to open their eyes, and that's where this starts, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. In uh, one of the yearly conferences, we, we taught on this, and every, every guy has one of these for their house where they live, um, and, and they really... They really they really have a sense of they have come from darkness to light. They have come from the dominion of Satan to Christ. And now have a sense that they're part of that outreach into the community. They have, when we first started working with them, they were MBBs, really didn't have a settled sense of who they were in Christ because they're so few in number in Bangladesh that have come to faith. So they don't, there's no community. There's no really MBB churches there. So they, they struggled, but over the six, eight years, 
10 years we were working with them, they just have a more settled identity of who they are in Christ and really a strong desire to share that with other people. So we praise God for that. Next. Oh, yeah, so this, this is the team uh, in Fartipur, minus Don and Cheryl, that are still working there. Um, the, the far left is the South Korean wife. Far right is the South Korean husband. They have two kids. Uh, next to left is Australian. Um, far right is his wife. They have two kids. And then Tesfai and Hannah up top there, I think. Was this the farewell with them? We had a really good team. They're a little, you know, they're goony. They're younger. Um, just just really, really nice people. Uh, really feel, a, they feel a sense of being called and serving. So, we, you know, we got a Asian, we got an Asian family from Korea, we got an African family, and we got an Australian family. So, you know, it's a picture of heaven, a picture of what the kingdom of God is going to look like or does look like, and we just praise God that we got to be part of that for the years that we did, and we pray for them that that, it, that would continue. Go ahead. That's the final slide. I know. I just didn't know if you want to say I didn't anything. Have anything. We're very polished at this, by the way. <laughs> So, yeah, um, maybe that's all I have to say. Do you have questions or observations or anything? Yes, sir. Danny. I'm curious, Don, when should. you were sending the men, when you were involved in the One of the biggest impediments to church growth in Bangladesh is that once believers come to faith and they begin to meet, and they begin to meet, it's like a lightning rod for opposition. So if they got an established idea, so they're known in their home area, they're known as believers in their home area. So if they start reaching out as believers in the home area, they're probably going to get in a lot of trouble because it's pretty free to evangelize in Bangladesh, but if you flaunt it or do it in somebody's face or I don't care what you say I'm going to go on the corner and speak about Jesus anyway you're going to get shut down you're not you're not going to it makes good press it makes good movies or whatever but it doesn't make for really long-term effective ministry so at the present state of the country there's not a critical mass of believers in most places of the whole country where they can be a self-sufficient self-functioning church in that area. They're too much dependent on their neighbors for their livelihood or their kids needing to go to school or whatever. So when, when they came to a new area, basically nobody knew them or whatever. And they also didn't do very much of a witness right around their house. They mostly went different part of the town or whatever. And once you get a couple blocks from your home, you're pretty anonymous there. So that was the, the thinking and the strategy because we've even seen over the, la over the 10 years when, okay, they'd be outside of town working in the area. We'd have five people come to faith. They start meeting on a weekly basis. Within months, we'd have to shut it down because it's just, you don't have to shut it down, but the only way you, can't, you don't shut it down is if you build a building with a wall, you put a cross and then people leave you alone, but then the, then the outreach stops. So at some point in time, there's going to be self-sufficient number of people and areas to have local churches. And maybe the idea of a Muslim coming to faith will become more normal. Right now, it's still seen as a total uh, cultural uh, 
Um, aberration. Aberration. You've rejected the culture. You've rejected the family. And so you're an outcast. But maybe, well, we, we trust that, that with the time, people will see, well, these are good people, too. Um, they, just because they've rejected Islam, they haven't rejected being righteous people and, and living good lives and taking care of their families and that stuff. So we are praying for that day to come. But until it does, it seems like these that kind of the kind of situation we're doing is would be better. Is that okay. it's still against the law? No, I did, yeah. it, it's actually never been against the law to change religion in Bangladesh. It's against the law to force somebody to do it. But there's actually freedom. But the, the problem is when, when you when you get your birth certificate in Bangladesh, you put your religion on your birth certificate. So if you're born a Muslim, but then become a believer, what is your identity? Do you are so you know when you go to a government office or when you can and and there's there's a mandatory religious education in schools. They have one of the subjects is religion. Well, if you're a Muslim, you take the Muslim track. If you're a Hindu, you take the Hindu track. If you're a Christian, you take the Christian track. So you kid was going to school till third grade and he was on the Muslim track. What do you do with him? You know I. For, for right now, they're staying in the Muslim track because it, the, the kid would get totally ostracized. He probably have he probably couldn't keep going to the school if he changed religion. Um, yeah, it's just. I want to say something. Okay. Yeah, sure. Uh, one of our IOW kids who um, is now like he's in eleventh or twelfth grade, but when he was younger, his the school he was in, they, the teachers recognized how smart he was and. The principal of the school talked to uh, Ruby, the wife, the, the mom, and said, oh, we need to get him into Arabic classes. He could just memorize all that Arabic so, so quickly and win competitions for our school. And she, Ruby, who is one of the newly literate ones and, of course, felt probably much lower in status than a principal, stood up to her and said, no, I am not putting him in Arabic classes. And um, yeah, told her that that was the end of it, thankfully. And, and so they have to take stands like that, um, that we might not think of. Yeah, you're, yes, go ahead. I only speak to Islam because the, the thing would be different for Hindus, but Jesus is a known entity in Islam. So they have four holy books, books of Moses, books of David, books of Jesus, and books of Muhammad, if you will. Their uh, revelation theology is a progressive revelation, and when the new revelation comes, it doesn't totally do away with the last one, but you don't need it anymore. So we've got Islam as the last and the final revelation these other three are still there, but you don't need them anymore. It's complete. It's complete in the Quran. Um, majority of people have never read the Quran. Um, it's the, the, the official Quran is only in Arabic. Once you translate it from Arabic, it's a sort of a paraphrase, if you will. It's not the Quran anymore. But um, one of the first steps in getting people to consider Christianity is to get them started reading the Quran for us. The 100 approaches, but this is just for us. 
the Quran is very uh, Christian-friendly uh, document in a lot of ways. Not in its totality, but in, in a lot of ways. And just the idea of what the Quran says about Jesus and Christianity is significantly different from what they're taught about what the, 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 the gospel says about uh, Jesus and, and, and Christianity. So the, the Quran presentation is much more positive, accepts Jesus as a prophet, a miracle worker, miraculous birth, uh, virgin birth, mm, didn't die on the cross. God took him up. He's going to come again. He's going to judge. Um, and, and what it does, it, it, the, 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 the bond to break there is the bond that they have with their religious teachers in their community. Those are the guys that have given them the truth. Those are the guys that you follow. And when they come to the understanding of what they've been told, is it even what their own book says? It's like, wait, these guys haven't been playing straight with us. So they haven't been playing straight with us about this part of Jesus or Christianity. Maybe they haven't been playing straight with us about another part. And then, they can, then usually you can get them motivated. Oh, well, let's see what the New Testament says about Christianity or Jesus. And that's usually the path. Sometimes it's weeks, sometimes it's, no, it's never weeks. Sometimes it's months, sometimes it's years. But for us, um, <laughs> as counterintuitive as it sounds, starting with their book and having them understand their book, because they believe, it's, they believe that God's spoken through Scripture, but they never looked at it themselves. They've only, what they've been told. And when, when they go to a, a book that, that actually speaks truth to them, then they're encouraged to seek more truth. And most guys, all guys, guys means women too, after they come to faith, it's not like they keep reading the Quran or anything. It becomes, sadly, they, they, they get real hacked at it because we were under bondage and, da, 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 and and that's one of the roles I played. And okay, wait a guys, you guys have come to light, but don't, don't blame the, your brothers. Don't blame your neighbors for this. They're like you were 20 years ago or 30 years ago. So... You know, keep being open to sharing this way with them. Is that, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Sorry. You told me that. I'm sorry. That question is about how do you share your faith with a Muslim? We, we just quick on a Hindus, Hindus are, um, much more, much easier to get them. You don't have to go to the Bhagavad Gita first. You can go right to the Bible with it, with a Hindu, because um, there's nothing in, I'm not saying it right, the Bhagavad Gita about Jesus. Um, so there would be no need, no use for us to go back there and start. But again, getting, getting them to understand or, or to experience for their own selves um, God speaking through written word um, just seems to you know, bring a change to people's hearts. Yes. Say again. Biggest cultural block for reaching somebody, for me personally, or for the gospel. Yeah. You got a quick answer. I mean, one, one big obstacle is, unfortunately, uh, 
internet has invaded everywhere around the world, and they can see all kinds of things on the internet about the West, things that come from Hollywood. And so they see that, and they're like, whoa, we don't want anything to do with that. That's a Christian, coming from a Christian country. Yeah, that, that, that might be one of the biggest things, is that they identify nations with religion. So Bangladesh is a Muslim nation. Pakistan is a Muslim nation. India, India is a Hindu nation. Myanmar is a Buddhist nation. Nepal is a Hindu nation. Bhutan's so they, they have this national identity. So USA is a Christian nation. What are you guys producing here? You know, this is this is what your religion is producing. This is what is, and and they're very conservative there too. So lifestyle, you know, wearing shorts clothing issues, drinking issues, movie issues, just the whole, I'm not denigrating our culture, but I'm just saying that's, that is a reality of doing that in your culture. I'm an American, I stuck out always when I went to a place, and so that, okay, you're an American, you're, you're a Christian, well, this is what your country does. And yeah, that would probably, for personally, that probably the, was the, one of the hardest things. But when the IOWs were doing it, they were their own, you know, they, they were coming from that community. So that block was gone. That obstacle was totally, was not there. It's 10.01. Go a couple minutes or stop? Sorry? Okay. okay. Any other? Yes. Mm -hmm. Tesfaya and Hannah, and they know real coffee. <laughs> Boy, do you know? Ethiopians claim that coffee was first discovered in Ethiopia. It might be true. Um, she brought her ceremonial ceramic coffee pot from uh, Ethiopia to Bangladesh. By hand. On by hand plate. on her lap. And <laughs> you, you take the green beans and you roast them on the top of the stove and then you grind them and then you put them in the pot and then you do this. It is good. Mm. It is good. And you don't put sugar and milk in your coffee. You just drink it black. Yeah. Oh, gosh, yes. yes. Oh, yeah, Ethiopia is pretty, maybe 25%, and a real, uh, compared to the percent of Christians in America, much higher percent of evangelicals in Ethiopia. Um, so, yeah, I mean, he went to seminary and, and Bible college, and they have a huge church there. Um, yeah, and in this case, that church is a result of the outreach of SIM missionaries in the 1800s. So there's a historical connection with Ethiopia, but yeah, they, they have a lot of missionaries. I first, the first Ethiopian missionary went, I met was when I took a short-term trip to China, and that's how I got to know Tesfaya, because he was telling me about Tesfaya back in Bangladesh, and he wasn't with Sim at that time, so we connected and got to know each other. So yeah, there's a lot of believers from Ethiopia. Yes. I don't think we were, only one time in 20 years did I feel uncomfortable. We basically got kicked out of town. We held a meeting. We made a little too much of a public um, fanfare. We were going to have a meeting. It got known by the local mosque, and they, they kicked us out of town. So I felt uncomfortable when we got kicked out of town. But that really was our fault, because we, 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 we were pushing the envelope too much. IOWs and a lot more, 
uh, risk. They've only been beaten up once, but they get death threats regularly, um, written and verbal. Um, they're braver than I am. I, I, I would have given up what, what I think and left the country. I mean, you know, we, we had the freedom if we get in too much trouble, well, we just leave. They have, there's no place to go, you know, for them. So um, the one time the guys got beaten up, they did go to their home village for a couple months. We did re-transfer um, one of the guys to another, another area. But um, yeah, they're, they're putting it on the line. They're, 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 they're really serious. Yes. Um, you were saying that you know you, you were there in Bangladesh because you had a skill that the country wanted. So you, you know, obviously you're an engineer or whatever. Did you ever like you were there for so long? Did they ever kind of question you? Like, how come y'all want to stay here so long? Like, like what are y'all doing? I mean, I would, would think it would bring suspicion. Why these people were there? You know. Like, well, you the, have to do your job. Wait a second. Wait a second. The, the question was, the question that was, worked. we were there for so long with the same identities. Didn't the people start saying, well, what are you? Well, you're but still here. The government say, you know, you're still here. Yeah. And the answer is question. Yes. And it's progressively gotten hard, gotten harder over the years to maintain those identities in the same area. So, you know, you know, good development work is you work X years, you teach the locals and then you you move on. So, you know, what are we still doing 20 years later, still having an arsenic project? But the, the arsenic project is doing so much good that uh, we really haven't gotten hassled about hassled about that yet. Um, what, how'd you want to say? And I was just going to say, we tried to keep our, our project work to 20 hours a week so that we had time and energy for outreach. So you are actually doing a job if you come in on a government visa and you're responsible to give reports, monthly reports to the government and attend certain meetings. So yeah, if you don't do those, you'll have, you'll be more suspicious. But very very serious. There weren't fake. Pro and I'm not. There weren't fake projects. They were real projects that were doing real things with real people, and they could see results. And we could take governments to certain areas and oh, these guys have filters. These guys have gotten better from their arsenic contamination. Uh, these people are learning English. We taught Cheryl taught English to the equivalent of the FBI in the town we lived in. So, and. I don't know the FBI. They really were the CIA. Is more they than, were the CIA. The CIA so more than the FBI. Wow. And, they wanted a class. And they wow. said they. So so we. Because um, I was thinking like they could research all the internet. I mean you know like you said the internet's out there. They could kind of. That, that's true, and that that's that. Is, I believe that they know what we're doing there, but in, it just appears in that setting. Maybe not in all setting. If you don't throw it in people's faces you can keep going. Yes, you're, you, you, you're a Christian. Yes, you're doing this sideline, but you are still doing the, what you said you would do. We didn't do anything. We, we did everything we told them we were going to do. We just did more. Well, there's nothing illegal about what we were doing. And as long as we kept doing the real things, we, to, you know, today haven't any problem with it. Maybe one more question. I think Josh has. Josh. Of his word, right, rather than anything you might come up with, like 
Yeah, I, 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 Josh was just alluding to Romans that the gospel is the power of God and for salvation to the Jews first and also to the Greeks. And yeah, we, that's, we, that would be our testimony that the written word has power when it's spoken. It has power when it's read. Um, you, you, when you get overseas, you realize you don't understand enough to be really creative and effective and everything. And if God's not with us and if the Holy Spirit's not working, there's nothing going to happen. So a little less maybe reliance on self and your own techniques and your wisdom and creativity. We, we tried to be wise and creative, but in understanding that if, if, if someone's going to go from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, we're not going to bring them. So we got we to gotta go to the guy that's going to bring them that, that place and count on him and make sure that that's who they're focusing on and that's who they're seeing and what they're understanding. Um, and it, yeah, praise God. It, I mean, there's not tens of thousands of believers now when we were. There's definitely hundreds. There could be thousands. We didn't count numbers very much. We don't take pictures of believers. We probably never sent you a picture of a baptism um, over the years. It's just not what we were into or what we did. We respected these people's privacy. We didn't want them exposed to anything. We always told people, you know, we'll write a letter to you, but don't post it on the internet. Don't talk about us on Facebook. So protecting their identity. Um, but yeah, a lot of people come to faith. A lot of lives have been changed. A lot of seeds have been planted. Even our, the guys that are working there, the IOWs, they recognize fully that, you know, they, they work months and months and months, and maybe one person comes to faith, but they, they personally know that they're planting seeds, they're going to bear fruit for the gospel, because that's what God's promised. So, yeah, thank you for coming and listening, and uh, why don't you just pray for the church in Bangladesh? Or... Okay, you want me to pray? Yeah, please. Okay. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are and how you love us. We thank you for your mercy and grace in our lives. We thank you for the nation of Bangladesh and how you love each and every one of those 170 million people there. We pray for those who are there still working, uh, doing your work in your um, vineyard there. Lord, we pray that um, many, many will come to faith. We pray for um, the safety of our IOW workers. Give them the right balance of boldness and also discretion to know when they need to um, just to be a little quiet sometimes. Um, bless their children, bless the wives and husbands. And Father, I pray for this congregation in particular and specific. I pray for them. Lord, we, we've uh, just been blessed so wonderfully through CBC. And thank you for the years and the heritage that CBC has here in this community. We pray for you to continue guiding and blessing them. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.